This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is featured by Through the Storm Apparel. They are a veteran-owned and operated company that I have had the absolute pleasure of working with. Their apparel brand is on a mission to break mental health stigmas. We all face storms. You should feel empowered. They are an incredible company that gives back to nonprofits, and I'm very excited that for today's special episode, we are all working together with today's guest with What Makes Us Fire to work with you in breaking those mental health stigmas. They are doing a giveaway for the next week only. Make sure to follow them at throughthestorm.apparel on Instagram, and make sure you shop today at throughthestorm.shop. Follow all instructions on today's very special episode on Instagram and go ahead and start breaking through those mental health stigmas that we all have and giving back to nonprofits today. Welcome to the Little Bit of Life podcast. I'm your host, Little, better known as Tabitha. A lot of you may know me from social media, but little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join me on these topics that have impacted me along the way. Very little is off limits. Tune in on your favorite streaming platform and be a part of the interview with videos on the Little Bit of Life podcast YouTube channel. Let's dive into these topics together, one voice, one story at a time. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, Little Bit of Life Podcast here with your host, Little. I have Josh on with me today from What Makes Us Fire. You've seen him on TikTok, you've seen him on his own YouTube podcast. We have been friends for years now, and I finally got him to come on to today's podcast. Josh, what's up? How's it going? Uh, not much is going on, and yes, we have been friends for years, and yes, I've been waiting <laughs> to be coming on your podcast for, I think, about a year now. I think it's been about a year now since uh, I know. you first invited me. And I saw all these other guests mm-hmm. go on and then I started to get jealous and started to be upset. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm glad I'm here. And I really do appreciate you having me. So it's pretty, it's, it's very cool being a guest and not being a host. So I, I Isn't enjoy it cool? That it's aspect. like this weird trade-off. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you don't have to worry about like what you say, the questions, you just get to sit back and chill. Like it's I, so peaceful and relaxing on that, on that side. <laughs> absolutely. Now, a lot of my guests on my podcast, they always tell me, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I'm nervous, this and that. And I'm like, well, I have a little bit of insight on this. So now I'm just, yes, you're absolutely right. I get to sit back, relax. Don't have to worry about anything. This is all on you. Like, it's going to sound good or it's not going to sound good. It's going to be your fault, not mine. So. <laughs> I'll take full credit if it sounds great. And I will take full credit if it sounds terrible. I'll take it both it ways. Sounds good. Not- so for those that may not follow your TikTok account or they may not know about who Josh really is, how did you get on social media and TikTok? Because for those that may not know, you're an open book on there. Like you go live and there is nothing that is off limits in talking about your life, your struggles, but how you're turning those struggles into something that's going to help so many people later on. Yeah. So that is a very loaded question because there's a lot of history that goes into what has become what makes us fire on social media and, you know, on the podcast and everything else. So it, it's, it's weird how we turn tragedy or how tragedy can sometimes be turned into something useful, beneficial, and great for not only yourself, but for other people, right? A lot of 
sometimes mm-hmm. we think tragedy is just that it's a tragedy it's the most horrible thing and how could it ever mean anything more than what it was um and that's where i was uh, about two years ago uh we're gonna get real deep real quick like this is the probably the fastest we've gotten real deep into a conversation on a podcast um mm-hmm. so about two and a half years ago i was uh, struggling with some mental health issues and i uh, i put a gun to my head you know i'm a firefighter and i had dealt with some issues back when i was a child and i got really close to becoming a statistic um of a civil service member first responder taking his own life i was hurting really bad really really bad and uh, through that process of me trying to f- figure out how to heal myself and how to take care of myself, I went to my therapist. Uh, wait, this is uh, when I tell the story out loud, it sounds really ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, i i was i was in the, I was in a spot where I was lost. So social media kind of became a mind numbing uh, activity to kind of get my head out of things. Right. Uh, TikTok being one of them. Um, I started a podcast. The podcast at that time was just about sharing the lives of first responders um, and their families. Right. Just to kind of share, to get rid of the idea that we're more than just these quote unquote heroes that people see on TV and on the news and that we're normal human beings. Well, during that time, I went through my mental health crisis and I started getting help and I talked to my therapist and I told my therapist, you know, I'm seeing a lot of these posts on social media about people going through their mental health struggle and kind of sharing their stories. And it's actually helping me a little bit. It's making me feel like, huh, I'm, I'm not so alone in this fight that I'm dealing with myself. Uh, you know, everybody's dealing with their things, but they're sharing it. Well, what do you think if I started sharing my story? Right. And I wanted to make sure that it was a healthy step forward and that I wasn't watching these people being toxic within their own health. And my therapist Mm -hmm. straight up said, no, 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 no. Sharing your story is actually very beneficial, uh, not only for you, but it could help other people. And the more you talk about it, the easier it is to, to work yourself through it. You start having aha moments. uh, You start learning about the disease, the mental health disease that you have. And it's actually very beneficial for you to talk about it as much as you can. So no, I don't see an issue with you sharing your story. So I was like, awesome. So I started making posts about my struggle and what I was going through. And I was being very open and honest with it. Uh, Didn't go live a whole lot. Didn't do anything like that. But I was just making posts. And sooner it started taking off. People started liking the posts. People started saying thank you for sharing. And I can remember the first time somebody said, thank you, you helped save my life. And from that point, I, I knew that I not, was only helping myself, I was helping out somebody else, and it felt good. Uh, it felt like I was changing the dynamic of what happened to me. What happened to me wasn't so much a as much of a bad thing as it was and is for what it was. It, it didn't have to stay that way. Right. And Mm -hmm. I started to realize this. And so started doing some research into the mental health within the civil service realm, first responders mainly at the time. And I found out that first responders are, you know, first four times more likely to develop um, four times more likely to commit suicide 
and almost 10 times more likely to develop some type of mental health disorder, whether it be PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, addiction, and so on and so forth. So when I started learning these numbers and I was diagnosed with my depression, my anxiety, and my PTSD from a therapist, I started doing a lot of research as to how to, what are some of the best ways to mitigate these issues and to have them be better. And one of the top, uh, one of the top acknowledgements and one of the top prescriptions, so to say, that actually people came out better was uh, inpatient treatment, inpatient mental health treatment. Uh, it's very, very focused. Uh, you get away from everything, get away from the world around you, and you start focusing on the actual issue. And that was something that I was like, okay, cool. Maybe I should do that. Um, and so I started looking into it. And come to find out, it was offered there, there's a there's a place called the Center of Excellence that's made for civil service members, first responders specifically, um, through our union, through the Firefighters Union, International Association of Firefighters. So I wanted to go. And I called them up. They're like, yes, you're definitely a candidate to be here. However, <laughs> you're looking at about a month to month and a half, maybe two months uh, stay. I was like, oh, crap, two months away from my family, mm -hmm. two months not working my second job, my overtime. How the hell am I going to provide for my family while I'm in this facility getting better? There's no way I could do it. Mm -hmm. It's not that I couldn't afford the actual treatment. I had insurance. I can make payments. That's all well and good. But for those two months, I would have had to ask my family to sacrifice financially in a way that damn well could have put us out of house and home. So I decided mm -hmm. to try to do this whole mental health uh, treatment thing on my own, right? Because that's not the <laughs> that's not that's that's the way to do it. Um, that's the way we're taught within the realm of what we do. You know, suck it up. You can take care of it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and when that all happened, you know, I ended up having a mental breakdown, uh, quite severely, you know, uh, self-harm. Um, and so when, when I realized all of this and I was found a therapist that actually was able to help me, um, I decided to make a very big change. The podcast now started becoming about mental health stories within the civil service. And then somebody um, said, well, why don't you start a nonprofit? What? <laughs> what? I, I'm still, I'm, you do know I'm still trying to process. I'm still trying to heal. I'm still trying to do all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, but you're doing so much already. Why don't you try to do something else? And I, it never occurred to me. So I started thinking about it and I remembered my issue with going to get treatment. And that issue was I couldn't afford to miss work. I couldn't afford to put my family through that show. I couldn't afford to make another sacrifice to help myself. Right. I already make all mm -hmm. these sacrifices. My family already makes all these sacrifices for how much I work, the things I see, 
the, the stuff that I do. And so the idea came about and I said, well, why don't I create a nonprofit that not only takes care of mental health, the inpatient mental health treatment, but we supplement that individual's income. So they don't have to worry about missing out on overtime. They don't have to worry about missing that second job. They don't have to worry about their family struggling while they're going to get help. So that's that's what I did. Created a 501c3 and it's been growing since. I mean, we're still fairly, we're still a baby, right? We're still a baby nonprofit, but uh, the the idea and the purpose for it is is taking on a whole new, it's being taken on in a whole way that I would Mm -hmm. never imagine. People are, this is an amazing idea. Uh, Thank you for sharing your story. And and I know it was very vague with my story. So if you want, we'll get back into that. But (laughs) (laughs) I I understand, I I know I'm talking about this, right? Uh, I know it was very vague with it, but yeah. And, and, it's just growing. And so that's what, what makes us fire became, it became a nonprofit to help our civil service members, you know, first responders and military uh, get inpatient mental health mm-hmm. treatment and uh, to supplement their income while they're in that treatment facility forever, how long that might be. And, you know, with my board, we thought about making, we were going to create a peer support network, a mentorship program. Um, we have a board member that wants to, uh, he, he's going to get us some land donated to us so we can build a free gym for first responders and military to go and use the gym. So they have a healthy outlet. Um, It's, it's just crazy where it's been going. And that's what kind of, that's where I've been. I know I've taken about eight minutes to describe all that stuff, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where it came from. And that's where you saw the videos of, of my story and the things that I would share Mm -hmm. just unapologetically. I really learned to be unapologetically myself and it's pissing people off and it's turns some people <laughs> on to the idea. So that's where I'm at right now. It's all that matters. It's all that I matters. Agree. I think it's interesting as a, as a first responder, you have a, a sense of drive for acts of service. And in the moment that you felt lost, you created this acts of service and creating an act of service for someone else. I think that in the darkest of the dark moments, you saved yourself by saving others. And I think that really wraps into that first responder. It's, it's incredible. Cause you were, I mean, you and I've been friends for years. You were in a spot where, I mean, certain lives, it was, you could tell, and you could tell that you were really struggling, mm-hmm. which brings me to the next question of, you know, you go on social media and as a first responder, and then mm-hmm. you're, as being a male figure and being, you know, the patriarch of your family, you're, you're just, you're raised to not show weakness, not talk about issues you're having, especially when it comes to mental health. It's just something that we don't do. And then doing this on live and talking about it with thousands and thousands of people all across the world watching, mm-hmm. how did that make you feel in those lives of people? Like, did you feel almost this pressure of, I mean, I was one of those people, like I've never met you in person, but I was like always going in and saying, you know, like you're doing a great job or we're so proud of you. Did you feel that that was almost like a added pressure to just be better in that moment? Or you really felt like, cause I mean, there are some lives like you could tell you're frustrated. Like, yeah, I know that I'm great. Yes, I know. But that's the part of the mental health is you're working through that traumatic experience to get to the other side. Mm-hmm. And everyone's telling you how fantastic you are and how great you are. And you're better than this, but you amplified that with thousands of people watching your struggle. So I don't know if I ever felt any pressure to be anything more than, 
what I was at that moment when you saw me in my lives. Yes, I've been in lives where I was struggling, was crying. I was really debating life, right? I, I've been in those mm-hmm. in those situations. But the idea for me sharing that and going live with that, it was to challenge myself because before it was, you're absolutely right, being a male in a male-dominated field of work, being a first responder, and yeah, there was a stigma. There's absolutely a stigma to, you know, shut up, keep your mouth shut, don't say nothing, you can't handle it, quit, and all this other stuff. But I mm-hmm. I wanted I would I wanted to change that stigma and I I was starting to develop that I'm gonna be me unapologetically and whether you like it or not, you know, I'm gonna share it. And did I struggle through some of those lives where I felt like I had to push myself? to share my story, to be something better than the stigma. Yeah, absolutely. I felt some pressure, uh, but it wasn't pressure by anybody else. It was pressure that I was putting on myself. I wanted to beat Mm. the stigma in my head. Like I didn't want to believe the stigma so much that I had before. So it was a challenge for myself. I don't, I don't ever feel that when I was sharing my story or sharing uh, parts of my life and parts of my struggles with you're right. The world, I, I don't. I don't think I ever felt any type of pressure from anybody else to be something other than what I was in that moment. Um, hmm. it, it's it's a hmm. funny thing because you know you'll you'll hear people and you get a bunch of people. Hey, you're doing great. Um, you get people come in. Man, you need to suck it up. Uh, don't do this on live. Um, call me. You know, get off the live now and call me. You know, stuff like that. I got plenty of those. I I would get messages. I'd get text messages. What are you doing on live right now? Why are you sharing this right now? You need to get off live. You're, (laughs) you're crying. You're, you're, uh, there's times where I was, I would totally admit, yes, I am intoxicated right now. I've been trying to forget. Mm -hmm. And, but it's this, it was this part of where everybody knows it happens. Everybody knows that people do this to cope. They drink, they do something unhealthy, they yell, scream, they're angry, they cry, they're sad, they are numb. Everybody knows about it, but nobody sees it in real time. Almost nobody sees it in real time, unless Mm -hmm. they're they're really close friends, unless they're there when it happens. Uh, But how often do you see a complete stranger being open about it and seeing it in real time? Like, this is actually happening. People were actually wondering if I was going to hurt myself or if um, or or if I was going to be live the, tomorrow. Right. Is he going to be posting anymore? Mm-hmm. Like what's going to happen to this guy? And that was that's kind of the point as to why I was doing it is this is that ugly part of this mental health disease that everybody knows about, but nobody sees and nobody really wants to talk about. Like I wanted to show that mm-hmm. I wanted to show that because. It's not a pretty process. It's not a storybook ending, right? Everybody hears about, oh, yeah, this guy, he wasn't doing too good. He went and got help. And look at him now. Look at all. Everything in life's great. He's talking. He's a mental health advocate, this and that. But nobody sees the in-betweens. Nobody sees those. Mm -hmm. They're they're ugly. Mm -hmm. They're extremely ugly. They're extremely emotional. And I didn't want to hide any of it. I don't know why I didn't want to hide any of it, but I didn't want to hide any of it. 
So it's, it's amazing to me. We're, we're already like halfway through the year and mm -hmm. numbers, I'm a huge number person. And, and when you're listening to this, and if there's a lot of first responders that may be listening to this, especially with, you know, both of our platforms, mm -hmm. it's not just the suicidal thoughts or the tendencies or, you know, really being in that dark place. That is a part of, that is a part of mental health, but that's not all of it. And when we're really looking at the numbers, we're halfway through this year already. I don't even know how this has gone by so quickly, but also with mental health and first responders, it has to do with sleep deprivation, binge drinking, uh, nicotine use, hazardous drinking behavior is the main one, depression, caffeine overuse. And the, the one that I find very interesting is poor social bonding. When we talk about mental health, this is something that, like you said, you're just suck it up. Don't talk about it. If you're not doing good, quit, give up, walk away. Mm -hmm. And that's also a huge issue within first responders is that poor social bonding. Because if you don't have that support system within your family, like you said, you're sacrificing already, you're struggling already. If you don't have that sense of social bonding of someone you can talk to, where do you go from there with mental health? And I mean, I think it's I think it's amazing that you went and spoke to a therapist because mm -hmm. a lot of us don't feel comfortable, whether we're men or women, whether we're, you know, we're struggling with mental health. We don't, we always look at therapy as the last resort or the force of, you know, my family's pushing me to do this. This is, I have, this is my final straw. Someone's not going to understand me. What are they going to tell me that I can't tell myself? So I think it's interesting that you kind of self-combined these. You were doing the therapy, but you were also doing the mental health really those deep, dark moments with yourself and then with everybody watching, which I think is so brave. I don't even know, like, do you grasp that? Like you were doing the depths of the hard darkness and just trying to figure it out while everyone was kind of guiding you, but you, were, we didn't know how to guide you. You were learning as you went through those motions. It's funny how you said nobody knew how to guide you. Uh, I, because like, yeah. just like you said, I didn't know how to guide myself. Everybody's mental health journey and, 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 and path to treatment and success through it. It's completely different. Nobody's, nobody's exactly the same. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a big numbers person too. So yeah, you're right. The, the sleep deprivation, the, uh, addiction issues, uh, whether it be nicotine or alcohol, which is a big one. Um, but when you were mm -hmm. talking about the, the social interaction, right. The social bonding that we have, there's a, there's a, this really, it's like very plain sight reason as to why it's that way. Uh, but nobody really says it out loud, right? Well, it's because we're in our heads, we're in our heads. And when we're in our heads, mm -hmm. we don't know how to socialize. We don't know how to socialize a, with a lot with people outside of the realm of what we do. And then even when we're inside of the realm we do, and we do want to socialize, open up a bit, we have to kind of keep, there's a, there's a length of rope. And once you get to that end of the rope, you better not go any farther. You're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to fall off that edge. You're going to cause issue that doesn't need to be issue. So we are not only internally trained, but there's this outside source that's invisible that trains us to stay quiet. We, we, who, how, how do you, how do you make somebody understand what you've seen on a call? How do you make somebody understand that you had an eight-year-old child's skull and brain matter on your leg? And mm -hmm. when you see your kids, you're reminded of that. How do you, how do you get somebody to understand the connection with that? It's hard. You, you I still, it's still hard for me. Like, I don't know how to explain that when I see my kids, I think about that call. Has, my kids have nothing to do with that 
absolutely nothing to do with that call, but it mm -hmm. reminds me of that call. So how do I explain that to people? It's just easier to be quiet. It's easier not to say anything. It's easier to be a little bit of a recluse and, and try to, you know, deal with it on my own because there are some times when, you know, ideas and things pop up in your brain because your brain's a fucked up thing and it loves to mess with you at the most <laughs> inopportune times. Uh, it's just easier to kind of go into those thousand yard stairs and not have to worry about anybody tapping your shoulder saying, Hey, are you okay? It's, but when, when I was, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't tell you what it was that allowed me to have people watch me. Like it was some fucking reality TV show. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I, mm -hmm. I just knew that I haven't seen it from other people. So I wanted to show it in my way. My story is not like everybody else's story. Um, my healing and how I dealt with it is not going to be like anybody else's, but I was sharing mine because nobody else was sharing theirs. Everybody was sharing their struggle. Everybody was sharing their tragedy. You heard about what happened to other people. You heard about the addiction that they overcame. Uh, you heard about all those things, but you never saw them when they're in the throes of their addiction. You never saw them when they were in the throes of their depression. You saw the post afterwards, right? Or you saw the post before. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, I might be gone for a little bit because I need to work on myself. Hey, guys, I'm back. I've been sober for this so many days. Okay, well, none of us saw the, the process of in between. I wanted to show mm -hmm. that process. I wanted to show my process of that in between because, like you said, mm -hmm. it, people weren't seeing it. People were not seeing it. I don't think I, I wanted there to be more understanding about mental health issues. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I jump around a bit and you're going to have to excuse me. It's my ADHD, but <laughs> I know, sorry. Uh, a lot of it. It's just you. <laughs> yeah. It's just me. A lot of it. A lot of it was, I was tired of the, it's we going back to the I was tired of the stigma. I really was. I was tired of the stigma that we couldn't talk about it. Uh, you had to man up. I, I was just tired of it. And so here I am. Mm -hmm. Did I run the risk of my job finding out? Yeah, they found out. People at work found out about all of this. And it caused some ripples at work. Didn't didn't cause my job or anything because I was still doing my job right and everything. It didn't affect my job performance, uh, thank God. But the interactions with my coworkers, yeah, absolutely affected that. Absolutely. They were watching it. They were watching it as it happened. I didn't care anymore. I didn't care anymore. I was like, look, guys, this is what I'm going through when I go home. And when I'm at work with you guys, this is the shit we are hiding from each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's the key. You're yeah. all in it together. You're hiding it together. You're, yeah. you're putting on a face, but you're all dealing with something internally that you're not really executing to each other. Not at all. And in, it's because it's ugly. It's because it's taboo. It's because, and part of it's because we don't know how it's going to affect the relationship with the job and with the others in the job. There's this unknown mm -hmm. there. Like, should we talk to him? Should we ask him how he's doing? If we ask him how he's doing, is he going to break down? I don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. there's, there's really an unknown because there's such a, 
disconnect and un and ignorance about mental health within the service room. There is, there's an ignorance, there's a disconnect. I mean, you see it in cities and, and, and municipalities across this nation right now. I mean, there's a story that's possibly, if it's true, is going to piss me off, but a cop went to look for mental health help and the city ended up firing him for it. Right. And that is not okay. That's not okay. You don't fire, you don't fire somebody because they, you know, twisted an ankle or on the job or, you know, they got hurt on the job. You don't fire them for getting hurt on the job. You would actually be sued for that and you would lose. But it's okay to do that if it's a mental health thing. The thing is, is the mental health is just as important as your physical health. And we were talking, you said something about how therapy almost seems like a last resort and it really shouldn't be. For everybody that feels like they're mentally healthy, you, you go for physical checkups, you know, every year, two years, you do a physical checkup and it's completely looked at as normal, right? Uh, women go for mammograms and men go for, you know, colonoscopies, which when you get to my age is getting closer. I'm kind of scared. Um, <laughs> but these physical, che- these physical checkups are looked at as normal, right? Nobody, nobody's going to be like, Ooh, something gets found, you know, we're going to treat you different. But when it comes to mental health, it's like, Oh, no, no mental health checkups. That's that. Mm, careful. Cause what if they find out you are mm-hmm. just a little bit fucked up, you know, or what if you find out yourself, mm-hmm. you're a little bit fucked up. Um, and there's this taboo thing. The thing is, it's just as important as your physical health, just as important. And there's nothing to say that you, even if you feel mentally healthy, stable, everything else that you can just go for a mental health checkup with a professional who knows how a healthy mind should operate. Right. Mm-hmm. That- I remember watching your lives. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't even know if you were aware on some of those like deep, dark ones that when people would say like, come in, you know, years ago and they would say, you know, why are you on here? Why are you doing this? It was interesting because every time, every time I would always sit there and you would say, I just don't want to be by myself right now. I just don't want to feel alone right now. And I just want people to be able to see that mm-hmm. I'm struggling. That was huge because when you think of first responders, I mean, you think that you have this community and this giant family, but when you are, like you said, when you're dealing with mental health, you feel alone, you feel secluded because you can't talk about it. And I think that that's probably maybe that what saved your life is because you felt so alone in your struggles that you wanted to connect with others in a way that you weren't face to face, like you weren't on calls, you weren't with, you know, all of your coworkers, you weren't Mm. sitting face to face with your family. I mean, it's so different for those that have never been on TikTok or gone live and talked about mental health. It's different because you're not seeing the faces of people that you may think you're disappointing. You're seeing yourself. And so when you're sitting there talking to that screen and you're talking to yourself, the only person you have to judge you is yourself. And therefore the only person that can actually push you to be better is the person staring right at you, which is you. And it's interesting. I mean, I always got nervous. There were moments. Yeah, I agree. I was that one that's like, is he going to be there tomorrow? Is he going to post tomorrow? Like, I mean, I would look for that live. And then it, the problem is with mental health, is it's not just 10 steps forward and you're done. There's no magic treatment. There's no magic pill. Mm-mm. It is a everyday stepping stone. And there's days you're going to fall backwards. There's days you're going to feel better than you ever had. And I think that's what a lot of issues that we have to talk about with mental health, especially the first responders, is you can have one call that'll set you right backwards. 
So I don't understand the stigma and this negativity of like what you said, check up on your mental health, especially with first responders that see more than we will ever imagine in our lifetime. Yeah, it's it's funny how you you said like there's all this support for first responders and military, right? It's always like, thank you for what you do. You're a hero. Uh, you do all these great things and you have all this support. But as soon as you open your mouth and you say, you know what? I'm not okay. I have something wrong with me and I feel sad almost every single day. Then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not saving a kitty out of a tree. Oh, uh, uh, Joe, you want to take this one? Susan, anybody? Mm-hmm. They just disappear. Nobody's there. And it's it's this crazy attitude. I don't know if it's it's uncomfortability for people to talk about it. And I get it. it. It can be uncomfortable, but I don't know if that's like the sole reason that kind of everybody backs off. Um, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is, but whatever, the, whatever it was, I, part of me wanted to not only shove it in my own face, but I wanted to put it in other people's faces too. Like, this is what you guys don't see. This, the, back to sharing the ugly is, this is what you don't see. I want to share with you what you think is happening and what is actually happening with somebody that, that battles with these things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't blame people that feel like they have to back off when dealing with somebody that's dealing with mental health issues. Some people just can't. I get it. It's uncomfortable. Uh, nobody likes dealing with the ugly in life. Um, nobody really is jumping up and saying, Oh yeah, I want to talk to that guy that was just talking about offing himself last night on the live and completely drunk. Yeah. He's the guy I want to go talk to right now. I, I get that. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I want to go talk to that crazy guy, right? You know, it's not something you hear every day. It's not something most people want to do. And I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I promise you, those people want to hear from you. They don't want to hear from you just when they do something good. You know, like, great. Yeah, we put out the house fire. We, we, we help grandma up the stairs. We, whatever. We do all these things as, as first responders, as civil service members. We do all these things. It's all well and good. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the good that we do. But when we are in the shit, when we are needing help, like, that's when we need you even more. That's when we need your support mm-hmm. even more. Right? It's that... uh that whole saying uh, I'm not going to forget the saying but it, it's something to the point of you're only there with me when, when I'm successful you're not there with me when I'm down so why would I want you there at all right mm-hmm. and it, it gets to that point sometimes with us where even within our own families our own families just don't understand and they only want to deal with you when you're happy or when you're not having to deal with any of the stress. But when you are, it's kind of like they kind of back off. Your family kind of goes, you know, oh, that's 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 Josh. Yeah, Josh. Careful what you say around Josh. He's he's depressed. You know, you, you might make him sad. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's okay. Like you can talk to me. I'm still a human being. I'm still here. Like, it's all right. I want you to talk yeah. to me. I want to still. Con- <laughs> the reason why I am sad is because I feel like normal life isn't happening for me and you guys are just ostracizing me even more, which makes it like more normal life isn't happening even more. You're actually doing mm-hmm. 
a disservice mm-hmm. by not talking to me and, and just being a friend and being there. Uh, and that's something that even with what I'm helping with civil service and, and first responders in the military, like what I'm doing specifically with them, I'm hoping that the families, the friends, the, the community, the general population kind of starts understanding too, like, Hey, this person is that I can, I, I should go up and talk to him. He looks a little weird, looks a little creepy, saying some weird things, but maybe if I just ask him if he's okay or if he needs help, right? Like maybe we should do those things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do with all this stuff. Now, yeah, I do remember a live, and I can't say for sure, I, I believe you were in it, um, and I was sharing a part of my, my childhood trauma, of what happened to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, you were one of the ones who were like, thank you so much for sharing, you're so brave for sharing, and, and, and that has nothing to do with uh, the job per se. Right. It was something that I had to deal with as a human that just so happened that I had to carry into my job as well. And so when, mm-hmm. when we start talking about mental health issues of our civil service members, it's not always just because of the job. And I guess I, I, that's the point I'm trying to make here is a lot of first responders I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a first responder that probably didn't have um, a good childhood. You'd be hard pressed to find one that did have Mm -hmm. a good childhood. Let me rephrase. Uh, You know, a lot of us probably have gone through some type of childhood trauma or uh, some type of issue growing up. And I think that's something that I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the studies, so I can't say for sure, but I'd be willing to bet that it'd be somewhere between 70 to 80% of first responders that have some type of childhood trauma. And part of the reason why they're doing the job was to mitigate any, that situation they had to deal with as a child. And just listen mm-hmm. to, just listen to my podcast and listen to some of the, the stories of the individuals that I've had on my podcast and the, their childhoods and what they've had to overcome. And the reason why they started doing it, I did it because I didn't want this to happen to my mom anymore. I did it because I don't want this to happen to a kid like it happened to me. Like there's, there's those type of stories all across the realm of the people that I've interviewed. And the point Mm -hmm. of that is to say like, we're normal human beings. We just happen to wear a badge. That's it. We're normal people. We're not, we're not at that term heroes. Like while it's appreciated, we don't feel like heroes because we're still your average everyday person. We we get off the clock. We want a beer. We want to cook out. We want to hang out with friends. We want to, you know, go on dates. We want to talk to pretty girls or men, depending on what you're into. You know, no judgment. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I think the general public forgets that we're normal people. We're normal human beings. We're normal, just like you. We really are. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of us that's a little different? Absolutely. We've had to learn how to shut some things off to do the job. Doesn't necessarily mean that we shut it all off when when we're off work. It's yeah. a big misconception. Yeah, the uniform has to come off. I always tell people it's there's still a human that's underneath that badge and underneath that uniform. At the mm-hmm. end of the shift, the uniform comes off, and it's what you're left with. It's you're still a person. I think that's the hardest part for people to understand, especially, I mean, I was raised in, 
you know, a law enforcement family, a blue line family. And it was something where, I mean, I remember even being two, three, four years old and sitting next to my grandpa's scanner and thinking, wow, this is so exciting. But I mean, it's still a person and we all still struggle. So I love what your, what your foundation is doing. You're breaking that stigma. So what's coming up for the, what makes this fire foundation? Is there a way that listeners, can we contribute or how can we get our hands on this and really dive in and break this stigma? So the best way, okay. So I always say the best way is to advocate, right? But advocate with some action behind it. It's, it's a lot of people advocate and a lot of people bring awareness, which is great. It needs to happen. People need to be aware of the things and the issues that are going on within this realm. You know, everybody knows about the 22 a day with the military, but nobody knows about the times four likeliness of committing suicide within the first responder realm. Nobody knows about the time 10 likelihood of the mental health issues within the first responder realm. We don't talk about that very often. So advocacy awareness is all great, but then we need to put some action behind that advocacy and awareness. And that's all that is, is talking to other people about foundations like my own, not just my own, but like my own that are trying to make a difference to fix these numbers, to start lowering them. In 2019 alone, we lost, we lost more firefighters, suicide than we did in the line of duty and that is ridiculous that like what you're telling me more firefighters thought it'd be better to kill themselves than to do the job right and i'm not saying any firefighter wants to die doing the job we don't but if we had to mm-hmm. like we want we want to if if there was a choice like how do you want to go suicide or you know fighting fire, trying to save somebody's life. We're going to say fighting fire, trying to save somebody's life. We're doing the thing we'd love to do. And so when that number was published, it was just a swift kick in the nuts. Like, holy crap. We need to start making some changes mm-hmm. here. Um, and so, you know, advocacy and talking about these things and bringing awareness to these numbers and ideas, hopefully somebody's going to hear this, somebody that is uh, capable to actually help these individuals make a difference, like the What Makes Fire Foundation, uh, Vet Lives for Life, IGYSIG. I mean, there's a bunch of these foundations. Um, do go and visit them. A dollar a month, a, a, a literally less than a coffee. Yeah, you know, literally less than a coffee. And if I had every single mm-hmm. one of my followers donate one dollar a month, that's fifty thousand dollars a month to the foundation, which would help get a civil service member the help they need. It's a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you can visit what makes us fire.org. You can learn about it. You can donate there. Um, you can set up your uh, monthly reoccurring donations there. You can get uh, merchandise, like all the stuff about what makes us fire. I don't make a penny on it. All goes to the foundation, the podcast, everything looking for spot. We're looking for sponsors. We're looking for all that stuff. We're like I said, we're a new nonprofit, but Mm-hmm. To, but to, to get to your question about how people can actually start helping make a change in th- that's what it is, is being an advocate for these foundations, for these people who are trying to really make a difference. And then we're not just talking about it anymore. We started off talking about it, but no, we're not talking about it anymore. We're trying to do something that's going to make a physical change, something that can be actually seen, felt and heard. And to do that, we need, support from people who believe in that idea. If we can do it on our own, we would, but firefighters make shit money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make, for sure. <laughs> we make shit money. 
I, I don't know a firefighter that doesn't have a second job or works as much overtime as they can. Um, and, and the same thing for cops and, you know, God bless our military men and women, because when they come out, it's hard for them to even find a job. So it, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Where was I going with this? <laughs> it's hard for me to say, <laughs> it's hard for me to ask people to go to the, to the website and make a donation. Cause that's going to be the best way, right? Monetary donations. So we can build mm-hmm. a nonprofit to get the help, uh, to get the people the help that they need. And it's hard for me to say, Hey, we need your money. And it's as simple as that. <laughs> it really is. It, it, and it, but it sounds it's true so, though. I mean, yeah, it's true. It sounds so, it sounds taboo to say it out loud, right? Like how can we help? Uh, you got a dollar, you know, like, yeah. uh, th- that's how you can help. That's all. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But then you look at all these other nonprofits that are doing like the YMCA, uh, you know, United Way, uh, Wounded Warrior Project. They're all asking you to make subscriptions and to donate monthly and everything else. It's the same thing for us smaller nonprofits that are trying to hit a different aspect or a different field to help our civil service members. Right. Mine's focusing on mm-hmm. mental health. There's others that focus on like Wounded Warrior Project. They, they focus on wounded veterans, you know, and that's their focus. I'm focusing on the mental health aspect of things. They need money and they have no qualms about asking for it. I need to learn to not have any qualms about asking for it, but I'm still trying. It still feels weird. Like it's still like <laughs> I need you to donate $5 a month, man. That's, that's how you can really truly help. I need you to go talk to your job and mm-hmm. see if they would like to donate to a nonprofit for the year to make that, that large donation for the year. And then hopefully make it a reoccurring donation every year. It's a tax write off. You're donating to a 501 C three. Yeah. And And for those that are listening and you may think like, it's not really going to make that big of a difference. A dollar. When you think about the numbers of those that we're losing, how many do we have left? Like a life of a service member is not worth a dollar. One dollar that could really, as like you said, as we advocate and as we get together and we, you know, we go through our community and we get each other's support and we make that number one dollar, it could turn into five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars. And that's the problem is the rate and the magnitude that we're losing service men and women. Who are you going to have left to make those service calls, especially if mental health is not being really looked at and taken care of? There's not going to be anybody in those roles to, to help us even 10, 15, 20 years down the line. So if you're listening to this, you're like, I really want to help or, you know, I really want to advocate, you know, at my place of business or with my group or support group or friends. Is a dollar a day worth somebody that maybe is the love of your life that may be struggling that they're not telling you? We all know a service resp- first responder. We all know somebody that's, that is in the field of service. Maybe you have somebody in your family or in your support group or even in your own home that may be struggling. What if it were them? What if that $1 were to save their life? Would you struggle to donate or would it be completely worth it without one thought in your mind? I always, always ask people to really advocate, go together as a community, work together. So if you're listening to this and like he said, it's tax write-off, you're giving it to a nonprofit. Is a dollar a day worth the love of your life's life? If that's the case, then advocate and group together. And I'll be the one to say, go to this website and give money a dollar a day, $50 a month. I mean, the cost of everything right now, it's less than a dollar. It's, it's less than coffee. It's less than a gumball now in a gumball machine. Is that worth a life? And my answer to that is always yes. I, I think it is. And again, like I said, 
you know, us being a new nonprofit and I, I like being completely transparent, right? So us being a new nonprofit, we, I started this thing with no capital. Everything I, everything came out of my pocket. Everything came out of my pocket. And I am completely a hundred percent transparent with the donations because it's our first year. And because we are trying to build that, we got to make the nonprofits, nonprofits are businesses, everyone they're not just they're not mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. they're not just middlemen to things like i when i started the nonprofit, i thought oh yeah cool i'll start a nonprofit. give me the money and then i give them the money and yay everyone's happy no federal government doesn't doesn't <laughs> doesn't look doesn't look at it that way it's there's a lot of you got to have insurance mm-hmm. you got to have accounting got to have um you got to have fine you got to have like you got to have financials for fundraising uh it costs money to make money, right? You, nobody's just going to give you everything okay. for free. Um, in-kind donations, all those things have to be meticulously written down and tracked. Um, and God forbid you miss $1. God forbid you miss $1 because the federal government would be like, hmm, nonprofit status revoked. So you have to be very, very mm-hmm. careful. And so our first year, we're, we're dividing up the donations 50 50 50 to operations 50 to mission with the goal of after the first year to become a solid operating nonprofit nonprofit uh 70 30 70 to mission 30 to operations now some people are like mm-hmm. well, what do you mean 70 30 well, that means 70 cents of every dollar would go to the main mission and to subsequent missions like the peer support network and everything else and then 30 percent would go to operations insurance um you know CPAs, lawyer fees, stuff like that. So to operate the actual business. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, well, why isn't it a hundred percent? Well, because if it was a hundred percent, no money would go to the business portion of the nonprofit and we would fail in six mm-hmm. months. We would fail. We wouldn't be able yeah. to actually continue working as a nonprofit because we wouldn't have any operating anything. And it's a healthy balance. Yeah. Everything in life needs balance. Now required. I did, yep. I did, and, and I did the research, right? They, the research states that if you're a nonprofit operating at anything, anything under 20, 20% or under your uh, likelihood of failure is like high 80%. Mm-hmm. Right now there's some nonprofits that can probably run on 20% for operating costs, right? Like wounded warrior or United way. I mean, these are huge multi-billion dollar nonprofits. They get a lot of money every year that they could probably operate and hire people to do the work using only 20% of the donations. Awesome. Great. I'm not there yet. <laughs> and I say yeah. yet, I say yet, <laughs> I say yet because I want to, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to give up on this. I don't want a fellow brother or sister to go through what I went through. I don't want them to know what it's like to, to, look down the barrel of a gun or, or to slice their arm open because they don't know how to do anything else. I don't want that for anybody else mm-hmm. that is already making a sacrifice to try to help others. Like I'm going to make a change if it's going to fucking kill me. I'm going to help somebody if it's going to fucking kill me, whether it's sharing my story or, or getting them this help that I truly believe that they need and want and deserve. Really? They deserve it. They shouldn't have to pay a damn thing. To be honest with you, it should be fucking free. 
the cities and the municipalities Great. that that hire these individuals and these people are giving everything they can including their family time everything like this kind of treatment should be fucking free but it's not because it's expensive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um yep in, inpatient treatment's expensive as hell so anyway anyway sorry you're gonna get me on soapbox and you won't be able to get me <laughs> shut up no you're good well i appreciate that you came on today and you you were vulnerable because i know it's not easy because even though when you're in this mental health journey and you're going ahead and you are in that healing phase, every time you talk about it, it opens a wound. It brings you back to that moment. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, sharing your story with the world because you've done and helped so many people. And like I said, I'll put all the information in the bio, especially in this description. If you feel that $1 a day is going to save someone that maybe you love and know, or maybe you don't, and you really want to make a difference, head over to their foundation website, create that bond and a sense of community. And you never know. Who might be that one person that as you're scrolling TikTok late at night, or they may say, I was saved by this foundation and you know that you helped out and you are a part of that community and saving somebody else's life. So Josh, I think you're amazing. I love you to death. You already know that. And I'm so glad that you were on with us today. I'm so glad that I was on with you today. And I'm so glad it didn't go very long either because uh, we could have gotten way more. Into <laughs> and I appreciate you. I appreciate you cutting me off when you are. I get it. I know I talk a lot and I'm a little bit all over the place, but I, I really do appreciate you having me on. And I really look forward to hearing it. I look for, I, like I said, I talk a lot. I apologize. I jump around the place. Bunch of ideas coming at once. And you know, <laughs> you know that feeling when, when you're writing stuff down, but your thoughts are going faster than what you can write. I don't know if mm-hmm. anybody had that feeling. Well, it's like that with me, but yep. speaking. <laughs> it's like that with me, but speaking. Like I have all these ideas that I can't spit them out as fast as I can. But again, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, uh, everybody. What makes fire.org. It'd be greatly appreciated. Go check it out. And all social media is what makes us fire. All one word. It's very easy. You can find me on all social media. I'm very annoying because of that. Like, you're, so you'll- <laughs> you're great. That's why <laughs> that's why I'm putting all your information in the description because I want people, I always say, like, I always give breadcrumbs, but I want people to feel that connection and that bond with the guests that I have on to where you have everything at your fingertips. You want to go and watch the videos and watch the lives and you want to be a part of something that is bigger than even what I have on this podcast. I always say, I just provide the platform. The guests come on. It's your show. It's your story. But keep going. Keep that momentum going, especially after you listen to this. Go follow the TikTok. Go follow everything. All the information is in the bio. You don't have to go search for it. I make it so easy for you. And uh, make that difference and make that change today. You're a lot nicer than I am because I just say it on the show. I don't even put it in the bio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I put it all. I make it easy. I put it all. Yeah. But I'm so excited to see where your journey goes and, and how, how your healing journey goes and what you share with us. Cause like I said, you uh you're vulnerable and I think it's uh it's part of your active service is to help others and allow us to be on that journey. And I appreciate you well, showing I, us along the way. The good, the bad, the ugly, the in between. <laughs> I, I appreciate everybody going along with the journey. I really do. Uh, and I actually feel privileged sharing it. So thank you. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time right here with me. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. And don't forget to head over and rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform to bring others along this journey with us for next week's episode. And subscribe on the Little Bit of Life YouTube channel for upcoming videos and live action to come. Have you joined in on all of my adventures? Be sure not to miss a moment on Instagram at littlecute1az. Let's share these stories to more that need to be in the know. I will catch you on the next episode. And remember, be good to others and be good to you.